0: how do i know what i think until i see what i say the green notebook carried by military leaders around the world within those pages are sweat tears triumphs and the hard-won lessons of life lessons worth sharing each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha coffee. They make premium, 100% Arabica coffee. And Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Don Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly. And this week, we're diving into the Green Notebook of General Wayne Ayer. General Ayer is the Chief of Defense for Canada, and in this episode, he shares over three decades worth of leadership lessons and how reading, writing, and reflection have shaped his career. We also talk about what it means to be a professional in today's military, the importance of holistic health and fitness for leaders, and why failure is a great teacher. So grab your Green Notebooks, and please welcome to the show, General Ayer.
1: Hey, Joe, thanks for having me on the show today. I'm a big fan of of what you do, and I listen to your podcast religiously. So for me, it's an honor to be here. I want to thank you for pushing the professional and personal development so much because the tool that you provide is just so useful.
0: Well, sir, thank you very much. And I've followed you for way before your current position on social media, and I've learned a lot from you along the way. So I appreciate you being open to this opportunity. This is a huge opportunity for me, a huge opportunity for the show and listeners. So I guess to just jump right into it, could you share a little bit about your background?
1: I sure can. So I grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan. I joined Army Cadets, which is a youth program we have at the age of 12. And I've been in uniform ever since. I went through a military college system, uh, commissioned as uh, second lieutenant into the infantry. Uh, my regiment's of Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. I've had the fortune of serving as a commander at all levels, platoon through to division, and and our army, and then currently as the Chief of Defence Staff. Great opportunities to serve around the world. Served with the United Nations in Cyprus, uh, United Nations. In Croatia at the height of the, of the uh, Yugoslav Wars, in Bosnia with NATO, a couple of tours in Afghanistan, served in Korea as the deputy commander of the United Nations Command, first non-US uh, deputy commander for that position. A lot of experience with uh, US forces, did the US Army Special Forces qualification course as, as a captain, did the Marine Corps uh, Command of Staff College School of Advanced Warfighting, did the US Army uh, War College. You can say I've been educated uh, by you. Most of my professional, senior professional military education. You won't let me vote yet down there, but that's that's okay. Uh, (laughs) I've had the opportunity to serve as the deputy commander of 18th Airborne Corps, which was a fantastic experience, and so a lot of time either on deployments or postings working with U.S. forces. And I've got a tremendous amount of respect for the leadership that you have around the world.
0: I'm curious, you know, mentioning 18th Airborne Corps in that role for those of you that uh, aren't familiar. One of the deputy commanding generals of the 18th Airborne Corps is a Canadian general, not, not a U.S. general. So I'm curious, what did you learn from, from that position that you've kind of brought back with you?
1: Well, there were many lessons that I took away from that uh, that fantastic experience. You know, I deployed to Afghanistan with the Corps as the Corps took on the uh, ISAF Joint Command. And uh, I took command of NATO training mission Afghanistan as a subordinate command to the uh, the Corps. But, you know, just so much, you know, the role of a deputy commander and what that is in terms of extending the command reach for the commander, of being at decisive points, of providing a mechanism in which to extend the communication of the, the commander's intent and likewise be a sensor uh, to bring back uh, valuable observations. You know, better understanding of large-scale operations and how to delineate between current operations, future operations, and, and future plans setting the conditions for subordinates. Relationships, super, super important. And being able to develop relationships with many uh, senior U.S. officers, paying huge dividends today. In that job was where I first met General Milley. And, and I tell you, in this job, uh, having that connection, uh, very, very useful as we face the challenges and crises around the world. know, something else that was interesting that I took away from that experience was the U.S. Army approach to recognition. It was definitely a positive that I've strived to bring back here to Canada. Recognition in terms of the very formal ceremonies for promotions, for awards, bringing the family in. And I think that is an aspect of U.S. military culture that should be recognized.
0: I'd like to ask a couple of questions, if I can, about some of the stuff you just said. You mentioned being a censor for the commander. And I'm curious, as you've come up in the ranks You were a censor for a commanding general, and now you're a commanding general. How important is that to you to understanding what's going on in the force and to some of the decisions you make?
1: Well, for me, it's all about creating a command climate where subordinates, where somebody is willing to bring you ground truth. We've seen too many cases where subordinates are reluctant to speak truth to power, to be the bearer of bad news and commanders absolutely need that. And so subordinates have got to have the courage to come forward with that truth, but also the commander has got to create that climate where that truth is accepted. If the emperor is not wearing any clothes, well somebody better speak up because otherwise everybody's going to be embarrassed.
0: It's a great point and um you know it's something that the current 18th Airborne Corps commander General Donahue I hear him say it all the time is that At the 05 command level, the battalion command level, you've got one foot in reality and one foot in fantasy. And as you go up in rank in the institution, in the military, that foot gets closer and closer and closer to that fantasy line and eventually crosses over. And it's really hard to get ground truth. And and I didn't appreciate that until I was in charge of my own organization and realized that it is very easy to live in fantasy land, and you actually have to fight to be able to keep your pulse on the organization.
1: You're absolutely right. When I was a junior officer, we used to cynically call the higher level echelons above reality. Well, I am that level now, and <laughs> you know I, I find it's harder and harder to maintain an understanding of ground truth. And so a deliberate effort has to be made. So getting those sensors out there, getting out there yourself and and seeing, super important. Getting out, seeing and being seen.
0: Yes, sir. And uh, I want to talk about reading in a second. You know, when you said that, I, I recently read General Gavin's journal from World War II. It was called Gavin Wars," just recently published by his daughter, Chloe. He said the exact same thing you just said. He recognized that the difference between the great generals in World War II and the ones that weren't that great, and it was exactly what you just said, the ability to get out, to understand what's going on on the front lines, to see and interact with people. You know, he said that was probably the greatest thing he did throughout the war, was constantly visiting the front lines to understand the truth. And the ones who didn't do that kind of floated away into that fantasy land. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just mentioned a book and, you know, as we've, I guess I've, I've followed you as well. Over the years, you know, I know that reading has played a large role in your development. You're a huge reader as well. What role has it played in in your development as a leader?
1: Well, it's played a massive role in in my continued development. If you take a look at our uh, professional military education, it's, it's episodic. You know, once every several years, you go away to the schoolhouse, you learn, you immerse yourself in the profession. But the world situation is changing so fast that pace of acceleration has picked up, that we can't afford to only rely on that as our developmental tool. Uh, It's got to be continuous. It's a way to introduce new ideas. It's a way to benefit from the experience of others. About eight or nine years ago, I wrote a paper called Why We Read. I, I did it as one star to just put out there. It was the front end of our Army reading list just to show the importance It's also super useful for decision-making. If we understand that a lot of decisions are made using intuition, intuition is based on pattern recognition and mental mindsets. Well, that pattern recognition, those patterns, don't have to be all from your own experience. The broader you can make them and and using other people's experiences through reading uh, about them, the better decisions, the better bank of patterns you're going to have for that decision-making.
0: As you look back, are there any books that stand out. And I've read, uh, just if you're not following General Aaron on, on Twitter, he currently releases a book, not only in English, but also his list is in French too. But what are some of the books that kind of stood out through your career?
1: Oh, There are just so many of them. And you, you get something from from every book. Uh, you know, Whether it's history, whether it's military theory, whether it's decision-making theory, whether it's science fiction, I'm a fan of them all. You know, science fiction, for example, starship troopers and the leadership uh, that is discussed in there against the backdrop of, of some pretty profound philosophical discussions. Uh, there's another one, War of Patrols. It's about the Canadian Army in the Korean War. And it's uh, probably the best operational study I've read of our participation in in that war. Everything from force generation to small unit actions and the necessity to be aggressive, to dominate no man's land, to, to relationships with allies. In my current job, where political-military relations are super important, uh, the book Supreme Command by Elliot Cohen. You know, likewise, as we change the way we think about leadership, The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, talking about psychological safety in the workplace, very, very impactful as well.
0: So here's something that I've thought about a lot over the last decade doing From the Green Notebook is that our organization, at least in the US military, we don't reward folks for doing this, right? Like there's no incentive to spend those extra hours each day reading. But it's something that becomes very apparent, I've realized, especially as you climb the organization and the problems you encounter get much more complex. And the issues that you face become very different, maybe, than than once you dealt as a junior officer. I'm just curious, is it kind of the same way in the Canadian military as well?
1: For me, it's the true sign of professionalism, you know, the willingness to continually update your professional knowledge, but also at the same time, write about it and contribute to that body of professional knowledge. And so you may not get the At times, the tangible recognition through points on a promotion board or the like, but you shouldn't be doing it for that. You should be doing it through that innate sense of professionalism to be the absolute best or striving to be the best at uh, your chosen way of life.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah, I I was a captain and I read this book called The Last Place on Earth, which is about the uh, 1911 expedition to the South Pole. And the way the author kind of framed the whole thing, but it was Sir Robert Falcon Scott versus Roald Amundsen, And you had Scott who, for all intents and purposes, was trying to do this thing, to be the first country to reach the South Pole because of the recognition, because of the opportunity to to become an admiral in, in the British Royal Navy if he was to lead his team. And then you had this other guy from Norway, um, Roald Amundsen, And this guy, like he approached polar exploration like it was his profession. So he studied it every opportunity, every book that had been published by a previous explorer, every journal he had read it. And you see as these two guys are trekking to the South Pole, you just see the difference right away. Roald Amundsen's ability to anticipate problems, see opportunities. Scott was a struggle the entire way. And in the very end, not only did Admonson get there two weeks before Scott, but Admonson was able to bring his entire team back alive. Whereas Scott, we know it happened to them because we read their journals that were next to their frozen bodies in their tent. Nobody made it back.
1: Well, you have recently talked about, uh, about the hero's journey. And that really got me thinking about, and I think you mentioned it, the, a military career as the hero's journey and the hero always trying to make himself or herself better as they go through this uh, this series of trials. And I, I can see the relationship between the two.
0: Again, it's about preparation for the trial. We can go through just touching the stove with, with bare hands continually time after time, or we can figure out a smarter way. And it comes through reading. So I think to your point earlier of... You know, we're not going to get extra points on an evaluation for it, but it's going to show its fruits in our ability to make decisions, especially in those key moments as, uh, in command or even as a supporting role in a staff.
1: Well, it'll be reflected in your character, your competence, and hopefully your commitment.
0: That's a great one. I'm going to keep geeking out, sir. Um, <laughs> that was like uh, when Epitetus was talking about how do we know if a sheep's eating well, we don't ask it to throw up and, and examine it. It's in its coat that it produces, which is something you know. I learned from Ryan Holiday, which I, I know you've read a, a few of his books.
1: I love his books. It's so easy to read, so insightful, and so applicable.
0: Talking about those, talking about some of the other books you read, Like I think that's another important aspect. When I came in the military, I thought I had to be an expert at military history. And that is all I read. And yes, that's important. There's a canon, I think, that as professionals, we should read. But I also think that there's so many other books out there that you can pull from to be able to perform at your job.
1: Well, you take a look at the complexity of today's military operations. You know, I've argued in the past that a platoon or company commander of today has got to have the same type of knowledge with respect to history, economy, culture, interagency relations that potentially the division or even corps commander, the second world war had to have.
0: And I think in today's environment, it was something I learned early on is that, uh, you know, in, in the US, Monday night football is really big. And then on Tuesday, everybody's commenting on what happened Monday night. And uh, now with social media, live Twitter feeds, anything you can go live and start streaming immediately. So every decision that you make, there's going to be a phone or two that's flipped out, that's filming, and everybody's going to critique the next day. And so you have that weight on you, yeah. especially in a combat or a high-intent situation.
1: And that's one of the things I've come to realize in this job. There are no easy decisions. Most of the decisions that come in front of me are what I call 49-51 decisions. <laughs> and you're going to be criticized regardless. And so you just need to drive on. You need to make those decisions. You need to... Not worry about the criticism that is uh, is going to come. You know, that's where the uh, the Stoic philosophy really comes in. You know, not worrying about attacks on your reputation, not worrying about the opinions of others, you know, being guided by your values, being guided by wisdom, by, by justice, by fairness.
0: We're all human. And that was something I, I struggled with early on was wanting to be liked as a leader those decisions still weigh heavy on me, but they weighed heavy earlier in my career for different reasons. How have you overcome that, knowing that there's going to be either a 49 or a 51 on every decision that you make?
1: Well, you talked earlier about social media, and it's out there. And the ability to be anonymous on social media gives many courage uh, to, (laughs) to be a troll. And so you know, avoiding uh, comments many times. You know, there, there are those out there who want to spread disinformation, who want to attempt to harm the institution, who want to discredit individuals for their own sick purposes. Avoiding that, you know, avoiding reading many of the comments on social media, staying away from that. Having my public affairs officer give me a synopsis if something is important. Uh, that's important for mental health. It's hard to avoid at times, but, uh, you know, one of the things I've come to realize in this job...
0: I remember my interview with with Arthur Brooks last summer, and he was talking about, he said, leaders of organizations, they are the most objectified position in the organization. And we kind of talked about that. And again, I I just stepped into the role of a leader and I didn't appreciate it at the time. And and now I do. And so how do you, because I imagine like you can do your best to avoid those, reading the comments, reading the tweets. but. I would imagine it does, you know, weigh on you at some level. How do you, I guess, how do you disengage from the job or how do you recoup your energy, especially, you know, as you come across those things?
1: Yeah, you've got to be very keen to ensure that you don't take it personally, to compartmentalize it, to realize, yes, it goes with the position. It wouldn't matter who was was in the position, that, that would be out there. It's the nature of the times that we are in. Uh, where that type of commentary, the disinformation that's out there, it's so prevalent. And so, not to take it personally, it's albeit hard to do at times. But for me, in very stressful times in this position, you know, reading the Stoic philosophy, reading uh, Holliday's books and other books about that, and just reflecting about the moment we are in, uh, the job that we are doing, and carrying on from there.
0: You know, talking about Ryan Holiday, I've heard that one of your favorite books of his is Ego is the Enemy. Why does that book in particular appeal to you?
1: So I put that book on the reading list, one of the few books I put on the reading list for our general and flag officers, uh, because it is so important. I've seen too many failures because an overly developed sense of ego, poor leadership due to ego, toxic leadership due to ego. You know, ego tends to close off other possibilities. It uh, closes the mind. We got to realize that, uh, regardless of what level you're at, you don't have all the answers. Uh, you got to be open to other ways of doing business. You got to be open that maybe you've made a mistake. Humility is is a real virtue. We all, I think, have imposter syndrome uh, when we're put into uh, many of these jobs, and how you deal with it is is important. Do you show that sense of vulnerability and you don't have all of the answers, or do you close down with a sense of overconfidence and and make all sorts of uh, all sorts of mistakes. Being cognizant of ego is super important
0: in a leader. I've learned that, uh, and again, this is not a lesson I learned at 25. This is like a 39, 40-year-old lesson. If you fake the funk, you will spend more time and energy continuing to fake the funk than actually putting the time into learning whatever it is you were faking. That's one thing that I wish... Early on in my military career, I would have been able to kind of push ego aside and learn instead of acting like I knew the answers.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's a lesson I think that uh, all uh, need to hoist a board, especially at the front end of a career.
0: As you've gone up, you've, you've watched a lot of people come up before you. You're in a position of, of power now. What have you learned about power and ego over the years?
1: Well, I've seen cases where power has affected ego. I think it's part of human nature. You start to believe your own press clippings as people have said good things about you to your face. You just got to avoid, avoid believing it all. As you go into these positions, you got to avoid the you know, falling in love with the trappings of office and developing a sense of entitlement for those. Easier said than done. But again, it goes back to creating that climate where people are willing to bring bad news to you. People are willing to tell you, be honest with you, if your personality, if your decisions, if the way that you deal with people is having a negative impact. Uh, just to remind you, you are mortal. You know, I'm reminded of the um, of the story about the Roman generals, victorious Roman generals coming back, and there being a hired slave to whisper in their ear. I think it was a Memento Mori remember you're only mortal. That's right. And that is useful. I tell you, for me, my wife uh, fills that role uh, (laughs) on on a regular basis, but just being humble and and reminding yourself that, yeah, this too shall end.
0: What are some practical ways you would recommend as people come up? Because I I find that too. I'm in a position, it would be very easy for me to allow ego and the job to kind of overrule my identity, who I am. Mm -hmm. And I I do, I find like as much as I read and as much as I I thought I was prepared for that coming into this job, I find that it actually is a constant battle against allowing myself to succumb to those things that you were talking about.
1: Well, part of it is metacognition, thinking about how you think, taking that step back and analyzing your your decision-making. Now, why am I making that decision? Why am I asking for this? Uh, what are the motivations? But also, and again, developing that command climate—I've I mentioned that a few times—but just so important, where your staff feel it's their obligation to come to you if something is going off the rails. But it takes a lot of work, and it's a lot of trust, and that power differential, especially a general officer rank, it's uh, hard to overcome with but with staff.
0: Is that something that you have to explicitly say, role model? Like, like what are some of the ways that, that you've Try to communicate that with you with your people.
1: I have explicitly put it into written direction for close personal staff. you know, so a command sergeant major, my chief of staff, my executive assistant, uh, aides-de-camp, aides yeah, you, your job is to speak up. If something doesn't look right, challenge me on it. And then when they challenge you on it, you've got to be disciplined enough not to bite their head off, <laughs> to welcome that and thank them
0: that's a great point you actually have to celebrate when people do it not just bite the side of your cheek and take in all the information and that's not easy to do i'm sure for you it's a very deliberate thing that you do as well
1: i read a book once i think it was called five dysfunctions of a team where one of the practices early on in in, in taking control of something and sharing a meeting or something is having a an agent planted who will provide a dissenting comment or challenge you on somebody and setting the climate right up front. It's okay, this is welcome. Having people who question, who disagree, loyally disagree, because disagreement is not disloyalty, but just setting that, uh, that example where it's welcomed.
0: Sir, that's such great advice. Across the board, when it comes to that, what I've learned is that climate is not something that, it's going to happen whether you are deliberate about it Or not. And so I think it's the stuff that you're talking about, the importance of being deliberate about what you want, and then to celebrate it when you see it. Absolutely. Now, sir, I'm curious in your your current job, right? Like, I can't imagine, you know, again, I'm I'm just at the lower echelons of our army. But like where you're at, because not only do you have the Canadian Defense Forces under you, but you're also looking out across the world as well. So what are some of the challenges that you're facing in your current job?
1: There's been a fairly unique uh, set of circumstances for someone to take the role as chief of defense staff. And so I was uh, appointed as the acting chief of defense staff after my predecessor, well, two immediate predecessors were under investigation for sexual misconduct. And so I came into the role with no handover and just thrust right into the middle of it. And you can imagine the media feeding frenzy that, uh, that came after that. And, and so we had a reckoning with some historical cases, it was extremely stressful. And my, my role, which I viewed, was, okay, i got to stabilize the institution. Because shortly after that, well, in fact, concurrent with and shortly after that, we had nonstop series of crises, whether it was the pandemic, uh, you know, what happened in Afghanistan, invasion of Ukraine. The geopolitical situation just uh, rapidly deteriorating. Climate change induced natural disasters. It's been nonstop in terms of deploying members of our forces to fight floods, fires, uh, storms. It's been crazy. That against the backdrop of a rapidly changing society. All of our militaries are facing recruiting and retention challenges. It's a really tight workforce out there. And so as the demand signal goes up for operations, our readiness is actually decreasing because of personnel challenges. And so right now we're going through a fairly significant effort to reconstitute the force to get those numbers back up. But it can all be overwhelming. I've heard the term polycrisis, crisis upon crisis. So trying to stay focused through that. And one of the jobs of a leader at all levels is to provide clarity provide focus this is what we need to work on. the rest is extraneous. and so there's always going to be more more tasks than there are resources to do it. so being ruthless and task prioritization, underwriting uh, risk when a subordinate tells you they can't do something even though they've been told to do it and then just accepting the crisis as they come because they will come, not getting bent out of shape when something bad happens, putting it into context and then carrying on you know, remaining calm.
0: I will get stressed out sometimes because a soldier, you know, did something wrong. You know, we're late on a tasking. You know, I said I was going to grill dinner tonight. I've got all these things at one time. And you're talking about a recruiting crisis, a pandemic, an invasion, a withdrawal, and forest fires. For your own mental health, how do you stay? Because what you're saying logically makes sense. But I'm thinking about the stress I under my little piece of it. And then I think about what's on your back. How do you keep a level head? How do you keep your, your mental health clear through all this?
1: Well, part of it is routine, physical fitness, daily physical activity. So I'm in the gym every day, every morning. And part of that is for me, part of that is for the institution. Because if I can find time to, to have that daily physical activity, nobody else has an excuse. Proper nutrition, sleep. I religiously monitor my sleep and aim for that seven to eight hours every night. It's so, so important. And you know this, the first thing that goes is your cognitive ability. And if I'm losing sleep, well, the first thing that's going to go is my judgment in terms of making decisions. And that has badness written all over it.
0: I feel like our institution, right? Like our profession, we are go, 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 go. What you just said, I'm going to sleep this many hours is actually like, it's counterintuitive for us. I guess as we develop culturally... You almost have to have courage to say, this is what I'm doing. Is that the same for you? Well, I remember
1: as a junior infantry officer, priding ourselves on the number of days that we could go with (laughs) those. Right. But we were just stupid drunk with (laughs) sleep deprivation. That's not doing your troops any good, because you got to be able to think and make those decisions and lead. And so disciplining yourself so that you've got that cognitive ability, so you're not impaired. It's so important. And it's more important as you go up the ranks, because the decisions that you're called upon to make are, are much more impactful.
0: Yes, right. Sorry, I interrupted you. But uh, uh, like I said, that was so different from how I came up. And, and that is something too, I religiously monitor how much sleep I'm getting for the exact same reason. I know if I get below a certain set of hours over a course of many days, uh, it's the same with with leading an organization with a 12-pack, just downing a 12-pack or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, part of this is self-awareness as well and knowing when you need a rest, watching yourself for those indicators, knowing that you're getting tired and then taking leave. It's hard to take leave in these positions. I just came off of, uh, of three weeks. It was hard to do. I was able to, for the most part, stay on leave. The team here was very, very good about shielding me. And you got to trust subordinates to make decisions. And so decisions were being made in my absence. And guess what? Place didn't burn down.
0: That's right. So if if the chief of defense for Canada can do it, you can do it too. Okay. So you you talk about nutrition, you talk about working out, you talk about sleep, you talk about getting away. Is is there anything else that kind of stands out to help you?
1: I do a lot of reading as well. And I find reading helps with stress management. You know, over the course, since I've been appointed in this job, I've been doing more and more reading about uh, stoic philosophy and then just relating it to the problem of the day and thinking about it, reflecting on it from that perspective. You're reading historical fiction or science fiction to take you away, but also to think about a different set of problems. I find that useful for stress reduction.
0: It's the same with me. I have learned, especially over the last year, that if I don't take time every day to read, especially before work, but if I don't take time to read, reflect in my journal, or just write, you know, just to, to have that creative outlet, I don't do as well. I start seeing cracks in my decision-making, my presence. That's another thing I've been very deliberate about in my own approach to leadership is making time for those things.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned journaling because that I firmly believe will help with stress reduction, with, with coping, with understanding what you're going through. The ability to reflect, to synthesize, And to put pen to paper to capture your thoughts in the moment you are at helps you rationalize that moment.
0: I agree. And I mean, that's one of my favorite journals of all time to read is is the meditations Mm -hmm. of Marcus Aurelius. And you see a a leader doing exactly what you're talking about. And for me, when I see something in writing, I don't know, it, it sounds weird to say, but it's how I feel is that it, whatever that stressful thing is. As I'm writing it out, that stress level starts going down a little bit once I see it. And I don't know why that is. I should probably look into the to the science of it, but it starts losing its power once I see it on a piece of paper in front of me. Absolutely. Is that something that you've done throughout your entire career? or Is it something you picked up later on?
1: I picked it up later on and I have not been nearly as disciplined as, as I should. You know, certainly on operations every day, sitting down and and writing, you know, certain periods in my career, capturing the moment, uh, reflecting and turning it into words, uh, that that synthesized understanding of of the situation. But yeah, it takes discipline.
0: One of the things that I was doing for a while when I was disciplined, I was writing down key decisions that I was making. I learned it from an essay by Peter Drucker. Mm -hmm. It's something that he did. And so then I could go back and say, ah, like that was a great decision or that was a horrible decision and then kind of, you know, see, oh, I was stressed out. I wasn't sleeping, whatever around that decision. So I don't potentially recreate that, the conditions for that or whatever the next time around, but I've gotten away from that. And I'm trying to get back to that again, because again, it's a, it's a great way to kind of assess some of those key things that you do as you gain experience and gain some hindsight. Oh, for sure. What are the things that keep you up at night right now now that we're since we're talking about mental health?
1: well i like to uh, like to joke that it's too much alcohol and red meat <laughs> but in, in reality there are some things that worry me greatly it's uh you know, our capacity to respond as as the demand signal increases and and readiness is challenged um, is, is that capacity it's the uh, you know bureaucratic paralysis that we sometimes see as we're trying to get major, Items that are going to be so important as we face this increasingly dangerous future. Those are a couple that uh, I worry deeply about and work to fix.
0: Another question that comes to mind as as we're talking about this is uh, a lot of people in the military, they talk about work life balance all the time. And, And you mentioned your wife earlier. And one of the things that I've come to realize is that balance is really hard to achieve in the military. Matter of fact, it's it's probably impossible. And it, it really comes down to deliberate choices. You're choosing one over the other, depending on the situation and depending on the season of your life. And then communication is important. What have you learned about that aspect of the military lifestyle?
1: Well, balance, you know, 50-50 balance, if, if you balance as, as that is going to be almost impossible to uh, achieve. We have an expectation of service above self. That is what makes a military professional different than somebody from the civilian world. Um, That being said, it's not all the time. If you take a look at the average of a career uh, throughout the the span of a career, yes, service will prevail over self. But that being said, there will be certain life events, certain periods in your life where self will be more important than service. Those key life events marriages births events with your children deaths that self absolutely has to take priority i think commanders need to understand that uh, as well so it's not going to be 100 percent all the time uh, on average uh, service will prevail but not for every uh, activity or event
0: that's some great advice and you know along that line of giving advice you've been in for a little bit in the canadian military what advice would you give to service members just joining today, whether it's your force, my force, or any of the other ones from NATO and our allies, our allies and partners?
1: I think, first of all, it's important to recognize that we are living in historic times, and history may view this period that we're in as a turning point, and the world is becoming more dangerous. And so you know, I've had the opportunity to be involved in some pretty interesting things throughout the course of my career. Those interesting things are going to continue for that next generation at an increased pace. So that next generation, they're going to be part of something bigger. And that bigger is ensuring our way of life can continue, that liberal democracy in this world can continue. So making a difference uh, should be at the top of, of their mind. And they're going to have the opportunity to do that. But making a difference as part of a bigger adventure, that hero's journey, if you will, This is such a great lifestyle in terms of that journey. I am envious. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. But in terms of advice, it is continuing to learn. Just with the pace of change that I talked about before, learning continuously, continuing to hone your own professional knowledge, your own personal knowledge, learning about uh, human nature, learning about multiple disciplines, uh, so, so important that that intellectual curiosity. I've said a few times that curiosity is as important as courage in a military professional that has to continue, but yeah, I would do it all over.
0: Speaking of the hero's journey, you know, as as I look back on my own career, I am today because of the experiences I've had and those experiences I've had have helped me learn so much about myself because of the challenges that I faced because of, you know, the tough days and the great days and it's made, it's made it worth it. And so I'm in the same boat as you. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade, it, trade it for anything.
1: Well, it's the failures as well. You know, one of my favorite philosophers, we've been talking about philosophers, little green guy by the name of Yoda, uh, <laughs> talking about failure, it being the greatest teacher.
0: It is, it is. I have learned more from my failures. And that's something that I talk with my folks about is failure really is just a data point. That's going to teach us something. And I was going back through some old articles that I wrote when I had a lot more uh, courage. I think when I was much younger, and I actually wrote about failure. And I said failure can either destroy us, it can define us, or it can develop us. That third one, uh, the one that uh, the little green guy Yoda teaches, it's much harder to do and allow it to do than it is for us to just say here.
1: You know, going back to advice to to military leaders. The advice around failure is important as well to embrace it. If you fail, it means you've tried. Now, these are failures of commission. There's you know failures of negligence. Yeah, you don't you don't tolerate those. Uh, but it's important for commanders to understand that as well. You know, especially as you want to uh, empower a subordinates, you want them to learn. Well, they are going to fail, and understanding that that is part of the learning process.
0: Yes, sir. That's amazing advice. Well, as I as I look at the time, and I know that. I know that you have a very tight schedule. And so, sir, I I just want to say thanks for making time. You're officially the first chief of defense that I've interviewed for the podcast. And like I said, I've I've been following you on social media for years, learning from you from your book recommendations. And uh, I just want to say thanks for, for making time.
1: And Joe, thanks again for having me on your show. And thanks for doing what you do in terms of developing all of us. It's
0: great stuff. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world, you can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTG notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for from the green notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're gonna help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the desert on my hands. Strong.